Towers of Light, Public Menorah Lightings From the time Chazal instituted the mitzvah of kindling the menorah, the objective has been to publicize the Nes of Chanukah to the outside, illuminating the world around us. The menorah is expected to be placed in the open, al Pesach Beisoi Mibachutz. Chassidus explains that the light of the Chanukah menorah is even stronger than that of the Beis Hamikdash, possessing the unique power to overcome and ultimately transform the darkness of Golos with Hashem's infinite light, Bahavaya Yagiachashri. But it would take more than two thousand years for this goal to be truly realized when the Rebbe's Mivtza Chanukah actually brought the light of the Menorah to the public domain. In Tavshin Lamedalid, the Rebbe launched Mivtza Chanukah. The objective? That every Jewish person be given the opportunity to light a Menorah. The Rebbe explained that a Menorah is unique in that it brings light to everyone who sees it, including non-Jews and emphasized that the Hanukkah initiatives should be done with the fullest shturim. At least one menorah should be kindled in each home, the Rebbe said, and children too should light one on their own. As a result of the Rebbe's Mivtzah Hanukkah, Hanukkah itself, and the way it is perceived by millions of Jews and non-Jews, has been totally transformed. Today, there is hardly a person who is unfamiliar with Hanukkah, and millions of people participate in thousands of public menorah lightings across the globe. One of the unique aspects of Mivtzah Hanukkah is the public menorah lightings. From the Kremlin, to Manhattan, to the White House lawn, public menorahs are a symbol of Jewish pride the world over. In cities and towns on all corners of the globe, Jews gather every year to celebrate Hanukkah, with the lighting of a large menorah towering above the celebrants. These giant menorah lightings have come to symbolize Lubavitch's fearless mode of hafatzah, featured in magazines and newspapers worldwide and memorialized in countless Chabad logos and signs. However, this global phenomenon didn't start all at once. It began with a few small menorah lightings arranged by shluchim for their local communities, and they hardly could have imagined what it would turn into. One of the first Menorah lightings was in front of Independence Hall in Philadelphia in Tavshin Lamed Hay, arranged by Rabbi Avraham Shemtev. That first year, he lit a small, crudely built Menorah that he managed to put together with a few Bacharim. By the following year, a bigger event was prepared with a larger Menorah. As Rabbi Shemtev was beginning to light up the East Coast, Rabbi Chaim Drizen of San Francisco had a similar idea, to light a huge wooden menorah, 22 feet tall, in the city's Union Square. It was on the first night of Hanukkah, Tavshin Lamed Vav, when Chabad's first large public menorah was kindled on the West Coast. San Francisco was home to many Jews of German descent, where reform dominated and traditional Yiddishkeit was foreign to most. So Rabbi Drizen wasn't expecting much of a crowd for such a public celebration of the miracle of Hanukkah. To his utter amazement, 
Over 1,000 people came to watch the menorah being lit in San Francisco's downtown. The world's largest menorah. Perhaps one of the most famous menorahs in the world is the menorah in Manhattan on Fifth Avenue, and it is definitely one of the tallest, towering at 32 feet. Rabbi Shmuel Butman relates. It was shortly after the Rebbe's heart attack on Shmini Atzairas Tafshin Lamet Chas, and I was thinking to myself, what can I do to give the Rebbe Nachas? After much deliberation, I had an idea. I would build the biggest menorah in the world and put it up right in the middle of Manhattan. Although it was shortly after Shmini Atzairas and the Rebbe was still in his room, Rabbi Butman received many answers from the Rebbe encouraging this initiative. Working with the local officials, Rabbi Butman obtained special permission to erect the menorah at the extremely central location of Manhattan's 5th Avenue. The mayor of New York at the time was Ed Koch, and Rabbi Butman arranged that Koch himself would participate in the event and light the menorah. Every year since, Tens of thousands of people join in the menorah lighting in Manhattan, and it is renowned as the biggest menorah in the world. Interestingly, on one occasion, the Debitson made a special trip to Manhattan to see the menorah. The Rebbe always emphasized that the menorah must be lit in its proper time, and in order to light the menorah on Friday afternoon and still make it home on time for Shabbos, Rabbi Butman would take a helicopter from Manhattan to Crown Heights, a tradition that continues to this day. However, the story of the menorah in Manhattan doesn't stop there. In Tufshin Memzayin, a few years after the Rebbe had explained that the accurate design of the branches of the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash were diagonal and not circular, as depicted clearly by the Rambam, Rabbi Butman decided to build a new menorah according to its original and accurate design. He recruited world-famous artist Mr. Yaakov Agam to design it. Rabbi Butman had Mr. Agam prepare a three-foot model which he brought to the Rebbe to get the Rebbe's input and approval, and it stayed on the Rebbe's desk for a full three days afterward. When Mr. Agam went by the Rebbe for dollars on the second day of Hanukkah, the Rebbe thanked him for designing the menorah according to the Shita of the Rambam and spoke with him warmly about his work. Joined by the President Another major development in the public menorah's campaign was in Tufshin Mem, when Rabbi Avram Shemtiv collaborated with Mr. Stuart Eisenstadt, President Jimmy Carter's chief domestic policy advisor, to arrange that a massive menorah be built and erected on the White House lawn. To add even more to the Persume Nisa, they invited President Jimmy Carter to join the event. Many doubted that the President would actually show up because, at the time, due to the Iranian hostage crisis, Carter was in the midst of a self-imposed seclusion and had not left the White House for more than three months. Up until the last minute, his participation wasn't confirmed. Yet, to the shock of all, the president left the White House for the first time after 100 days 
to participate in the menorah lighting ceremony. Carter spent much time at the event, where he addressed the assembled crowd and lit the shamish of a small menorah. The small menorah had been given to Carter as a present. The Rebbe subsequently wrote a warm letter of thanks to Carter, expressing genuine gratification at your personal participation in the ceremony of lighting the Hanukkah candelabra in front of the White House. The tradition of lighting the menorah on the ellipse near the White House lawn continues to this day and is watched by millions of people across the globe. Almost every year, beginning in Tufshin Memhei, a delegation from American Friends of Lubavitch travels to Washington and meets with the President in the Oval Office in honor of Hanukkah. The Rebbe received great satisfaction when Rabbi Krinsky relayed that a picture of one of these meetings had been released, in which one can see the Lubavitch delegation presenting a silver menorah to President Reagan. In the ensuing years, many shluchim have held their own similar events, together with their state governors, mayors, and local dignitaries. At the Rebbe's behest, following Hanukkah Tavshin Memvav, a book was compiled chronicling menorah lightings arranged by shluchim across the globe, titled, Let There Be Light. The following year, in Tavshin Memzayin, on the third day of Hanukkah, the Rebbe handed the album to Rabbi Krinsky and instructed that a sequel should be published with photographs of that year's activities. Throughout the following few days, the Rebbe constantly urged Rabbi Krinsky to telephone all the shluchim and encourage them to hold events, bearing in mind that the photos will be published. Indeed, a sequel called And There Was Light beautifully depicted how much more extensive the celebrations were during Hanukkah of Tavshin Memzayin. Ge'oin Yaakov Casting a whole new light on the importance of the public menorah lightings are the Rebbe's letters written in response to the opposition they faced. Although today it is a ubiquitous symbol of Hanukkah, public menorahs were initially met with some opposition, often by secular Jewish organizations who were not comfortable with the public display of Jewish pride. The argument these groups often cited against public menorahs was the flawed understanding that placing a religious symbol on public grounds constituted a violation of the First Amendment. Another argument they sometimes cited was that expressing Judaism in the public domain could lead to non-Jews to express their religion in public and thereby imposing it on others as well. But underlying these arguments was a more fundamental issue. Many Jews were simply embarrassed by such a public, unabashed display of Yiddishkeit. The Rebbe emphasized that this itself was one of the key messages in the public menorah lightings, to evoke a sense of pride in their Yiddishkeit and the realization that there is no reason, really, in this free country to hide one's Jewishness, that Yiddishkeit is nothing to be embarrassed of. Fundamental Principle In Tavshin Memalif, Rabbi Yisrael Brod, then a shliach in Bergen County, New Jersey, 
arranged that a large menorah be set in front of the Bergen County Courthouse in Hackensack, New Jersey. It was beautiful, recalls Rabbi Brud. It was an ideal location. Every night we would get hoisted up by a cherry picker to light the menorah. We had people from the Federation there, and everyone had a wonderful time. I was so naive. I had no idea that people would have an issue with it, he relates. So I was shocked when, during the following summer, I got a call from high up in the Jewish Federation of Teaneck, asking that we refrain from setting up such a menorah in Teaneck, where I was based. They explained that they had their own way of doing things and were not interested in a public menorah. When they heard that he was intending on putting one up anyway, they decided to write a letter to the Rebbe to express their opinion. The Rebbe replied to them by writing two letters on the topic in which the Rebbe strongly defended the concept of public menorah lightings. In the following paragraphs, we will bring excerpts from the Rebbe's letters. It should be noted that the Rebbe wrote and sent the second lengthy letter at the end of Hanukkah, and apparently wasn't written with the intent of convincing them to put up a menorah, since the town council had already rejected it that year regardless. Rather, as the Rebbe wrote in the beginning of the letter, it touches upon a fundamental principle which has its ramifications beyond the immediate issue. Concerning the legality of placing a religious symbol on public grounds, the Rebbe cited precedents from the menorahs in major cities, as well as the menorah on the White House lawn. That it was also constitutional, legal, and proper goes without saying, since the President of the U.S. personally participated in it. In New York City, the Attorney General of the State of New York personally participated in the ceremony, and elsewhere, public officials and dignitaries were on hand at this public event. The Rebbe explained that failing to express Judaism in public life could backfire with negative results. If the minority voluntarily gives up certain privileges which it once enjoyed, not to mention if it voluntarily foregoes a certain right which the same minority enjoys elsewhere, like lighting a menorah on public property, it is bound to be regarded as a sign of weakness and an admission that it is not really entitled to it at all. And if Jews refrained from putting a menorah in public, it could hardly deter the general Goisha population from expressing their religion in public. In an addendum, the Rebbe added, It is difficult to imagine that after what had happened in Hitler Germany, where Jews were murdered despite their complete assimilation in German culture, some Jews would still entertain the idea that by making themselves as inconspicuous as possible, concealing their Jewishness, they would gain favor with their Gentile neighbors. Regarding the importance of displaying a menorah, the Rebbe wrote, Now to come to the essential point. Why is it so important for Jews to have a Hanukkah menorah displayed publicly? Experience has shown that the Hanukkah menorah displayed publicly during the eight days of Hanukkah has been an inspiration to many, many Jews 
and evoked in them a spirit of identity with their Jewish people and the Jewish way of life. To many others, it has brought a sense of pride in their Yiddishkeit and the realization that there is no reason, really, in this free country to hide one's Jewishness, as if it were contrary or inimical to American life and culture. On the contrary, it is fully in keeping with the American national slogan, E Pluribus Unum, and the fact that American culture has been enriched by the thriving ethnic cultures which contributed very much, each in its own way, to American life, both materially and spiritually. Certainly, Jews are not in the proselytizing business. The Hanukkah Menorah is not intended to, and can in no way, bring us converts to Judaism. But it can, and does, bring many Jews back to their Jewish roots. I personally know of scores of such Jewish returnees, and I have good reason to believe that in recent years, Hundreds, even thousands of Jews experience a kindling of their inner Jewish spark by the public kindling of the Hanukkah Menorah in their particular city and in the nation's capital, etc., as publicized by the media. These powerful letters were used by many shluchim throughout the years to formulate the Lubavitch position on public menorahs. Getting back to the menorah in Tinek, Although Rabbi Brud's bid for a public menorah in Tinek was rejected by the local council, he successfully arranged that menorahs be lit in many other locations in New Jersey, including the state capital in Trenton. The following summer, Rabbi Brud met with Rabbi Moshe Herson to discuss the plans for the upcoming Hanukkah. There were two options. Either they could continue pursuing the menorah in Tinek despite the opposition at the local town hall, or perhaps it would be better to concentrate their efforts on having a menorah put up in Trenton. Rabbi Herson wrote to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe disregarded the option about Tinek and agreed that they move forward with their efforts in Trenton, also instructing how to proceed with placing menorahs in other cities, la'achar she'yikshashu ba'ifen hamasim, after they feel them out in a discerning fashion and determine that there is a chance of success. At the time, they understood the mina as follows. Every time a fight was lost over a public menorah, it strengthened the opposing side. The Rebbe was telling them to be careful and attempt to put up menorahs only in places where they knew they had a fair chance of success. Afterwards, Rabbi Brad arranged for menorahs to be displayed in other locations around New Jersey, and by Tushin Mamdalid, his empire of menorahs expanded to 15 stately structures standing proudly in front of town halls all across Bergen County. Three municipalities, Fort Lee, Oakland, and Hillside, put up their own. Over the ensuing years, many other shluchim had to deal with similar controversies within their communities regarding public menorahs. In Teaneck, due to the opposition of the community, the township council decided not to put up a menorah until the court ruled that doing so did not violate the constitution. 
This occurred in the landmark case of County of Allegheny versus American Civil Liberties Union in Tufshan Memtes, when the Supreme Court issued a 6-3 ruling that the city of Pittsburgh was permitted to place a huge menorah lent to them by Chabad on government property. No need to be ashamed. In Tavshin Membez, Rabbi Yosef Landa, who was sent on Shlichus to St. Louis the year before, decided to build a menorah on the large plaza adjacent to the St. Louis County Government Center. Working with a local fabricator, he built a beautiful 15-foot structure. He got a permit from the county, but as he was standing in the plaza about to erect the menorah, an official came down from the government center, telling him that although they had previously agreed on the menorah, the county wanted to check first with their lawyers, and he was prohibited to put it up until they did. Rabbi Landa was shocked. They had been about to put up the menorah, and now this. He immediately called Maskiros and asked for a bracha from the Rebbe that everything should work out. Within an hour, he received the news that the menorah could go up as planned. A county executive attended the lighting ceremony, and Rabbi Landa was gratified with the positive feedback he received. However, towards the end of Hanukkah, he began hearing grumblings from some of the members of the Jewish community. Someone wrote a letter to the editor of one of the local Jewish newspapers claiming that the public display of a menorah violated the separation between religion and state, and he responded with a letter to the editor of his own. As far as he was concerned, the entire episode, both the event and the controversy that followed it, was a minor one. Soon after Hanukkah, Rabbi Landa traveled to New York for a wedding. When he came to 770, he was surprised to hear that Rabbi Groner was looking for him. Not sure what to expect, Rabbi Landa was amazed when he was told that the Rebbe had written a maina for him. Ma hoya soif davar bimizuri? What ended up happening in Missouri? This was a tremendous kiruv, especially for a young shliach. Of course, he immediately sat down and wrote a detailed report to the Rebbe of all that had happened, and also mentioned the complaints of the community. Shortly afterwards, Rabbi Landa received a lengthy response from the Rebbe, with a general heirah that had implications for other shluchim as well. Yizdabru ha-shluchim she-yichyu b'matziv kehanal b'neihem, b'hishtatvos ha-yedeya ha-matziv b'Washington, the Shluchim Shiyichyu, who are in a similar situation to the above, should coordinate among themselves, with the participation of the one who knows the situation in Washington, Rabbi Avraham Shemtev, in order to avoid contradictions in their position about public menorahs from another and on the contrary, to help one another, etc. In response to what Rabbi Landa had written in his report regarding his communication with the newspapers, the Rebbe wrote, Ashrei chelkei v'gadel z'chusai shekidesh shem shemayim v'chulu v'lehizbayesh mepnei hamaligim v'heifetz yahadus b'poyel 
Fortunate is his lot and great is his merit that he was Mekadashim Shemayim, etc., and wasn't embarrassed from the scoffers and actually spread Yiddishkeit among tens of thousands of Yiddin Shlita. The Rebbe's response amazed him. First of all, he didn't understand why he had merited such a powerful maina on what seemed to him as a minor event. Additionally, he didn't understand why the Rebbe put so much focus on his Meneira situation, which also seemed to him to be inconsequential. By the next year, however, Rabbi Landa began to understand. As Hanukkah was nearing, and Rabbi Landa was planning to once again erect a public Meneira, things suddenly took a turn for the worse. The Jewish establishment of the city, over 40 organizations, joined forces to fight against him, a young shliach who had only arrived a few years earlier. They viciously campaigned against him, sending flurries of letters about him to all the local newspapers and setting meetings with the county to convince them out of allowing the menorah. The entire community was abuzz over this controversy, Rabbi Landa says. The local Jewish newspaper made it front-page news and editorialized against us, and word of the discord within the Jewish community even reached the general media. Their argument was, ostensibly, that they considered the placement of the Menorah on public property to be in violation of the constitutional separation of religion and state. It was evident, however, that there was also an underlying unease with the forthright, unabashed public display of Jewishness which the Menorah represented. These were well-intentioned people who were firmly attached to what they perceived to be the Jewish community's sacred opposition to such displays. Some saw us as foreigners, imports from Brooklyn, that's how one writer referred to us in an op-ed, who had come to town to overturn long-standing, hallowed community norms. Understandably, the controversy was very hard on him. He finally understood why he had merited such a tremendously encouraging response from the Rebbe the year before. It had been a preparation to the controversy which engulfed him the year after. When he was fending for himself in the newspapers and around the city, he used the letters that Rebbe had written to the community in Tinek to help formulate his position. Although so many people stood up against him, the decision eventually came down from the county that Didan Natsach, the Meneira, would go up, albeit for only a few days. After the decision, those who had fought it were very upset. They had been in town for so many years, they considered themselves the Jewish establishment. And now some young rabbi shows up and changes the way things were done. But the story didn't end there. Rabbi Lander relates, It was the last day of Hanukkah that year, and the iconic big city mayor Ed Koch happened to be in St. Louis to address the annual meeting of the local Jewish federation, which was held over a Sunday brunch at an upscale St. Louis hotel. Several hundred supporters were in attendance, including many of the professionals and lay leaders 
who were heading the opposition to the Menorah. Koch gave his speech, which of course had nothing to do with the Menorah, and then proceeded to take questions from the audience. That's when one questioner took to the floor and asked Koch to explain how, as a Jewish mayor, he dealt with the issue of religious symbols on public property. And specifically, would the mayor be kind enough to share his own view about the placement of menorahs on public property? An audible gasp went up from the audience. Someone had dared to bring up the embarrassing, unmentionable topic of the menorah display in the presence of this important guest. Then there was utter silence as the straight-shooting Koch responded in his typical direct and outspoken manner. I have no problem whatsoever with having a privately funded menorah on public property, he said. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I'm proud to say that we have one in New York City at Fifth Avenue and Central Park. As if he hadn't said enough on this subject, the mayor continued further. Let me tell you what else we do in New York, he said. The Menorah is in Manhattan. The people who light the Menorah are the Lubavitchers. They live in Brooklyn. So when they light the Menorah in Manhattan late on Friday afternoon, when it's getting close to Shabbos, we provide them with a helicopter and we fly them back to Brooklyn so they can get home in time for Shabbos. Needless to say, the controversy quieted down after that. When one of the members of Maskiros mentioned to the Rebbe what Koch had said, the Rebbe smiled broadly. The unending results of public menorahs around the world will perhaps never be adequately assessed. The timeless flames of the Hanukkah menorah speaking into the hearts and souls of millions of Jews, igniting a sometimes sleeping spark and reawakening the ever-present connection to the source in a true manner of Kiruv HaMa'ir El Hanitzitz. Suffice it to say that the Debe himself attested to this very fact in the above-mentioned letter, saying that, I personally know of scores of such Jewish returnees, and I have good reason to believe that in recent years hundreds, even thousands of Jews, experience a kindling of their inner Jewish spark by the public kindling of the Hanukkah Menorah.